0: hey what's up and thanks for listening to the give me understanding podcast i'm the host aaron dodson and today i have a special guest that i'll introduce in just a moment psalm 119 verse 34 is the passage that best describes this podcast the psalmist wrote in the long ago give me understanding and i shall keep your law indeed i shall observe it with my whole heart this is the podcast where i discuss the sacred text and i do my best to help myself and others understand it so that we can keep god's law and observe it with our whole hearts and today i'm very excited uh, to have a good friend of mine with me eric Harmon, to discuss the church and physical disabilities what's up eric how are you Eric? thank you for having me absolutely we've been looking forward to this i've been waiting on this i know you have too and i'm glad the day has come and uh there are some listening that they know of you uh, and some perhaps who do not tell us who you are and you might even mention
1: maybe how we met absolutely well as you said my name is Eric Harmon I am married to Tony we I guess are still considered newlyweds as we'll be celebrating our first year anniversary in June she is an eighth grade math teacher I am woefully uh, underachieving in math, so that's why I married her. <laughs> but we are blessed to serve with the Asheville congregation in Asheville, Alabama. And as far as your and I's relationship, we were blessed to grow up about a county apart. Yeah. I grew up and am a native of St. Clair County, Alabama, and that is one county north of your home in Shelby County. And actually, our families have known each other for many years mm-hmm. through our association with the work at Backwoods Christian Camp in Lionville, Alabama. Uh, but you and I really connected when we found ourselves as classmates at the Memphis School of Preaching about, oh goodness, 12 years ago, I guess now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yep. I remember that. That's Tell us what you do too in the work that you do, but also, you know, you can move into talking about how this particular subject, because I want our listeners or my listeners to know how this subject of the church and physical disabilities personally affects you and what it means to you. Cause this is an audio podcast. No one can see you, uh, you know, physically, but there's something about physical disabilities, uh, that's very personal to
1: you. Well, as I said, uh, um, I, we labor with the Asheville congregation in Asheville, Alabama, where I serve as the preacher I've been there since about 2019 now, Uh, and as far as how this relates to me, uh, I um, deal with the challenge of what is known as cerebral palsy. Uh, Just a little background of of that, Uh, I was born two months early, I was born at 32 weeks, uh, premature, and I was a little over six pounds at that point, so I was going to be a very big baby and actually yeah. that weight is what saved me. Yeah. Uh, at least that's what my mother always told me uh, because my lungs were underdeveloped. And based upon that lack of oxygen uh, for a certain period of time and some other things that happened around my birth, that caused the brain damage, which led to me developing cerebral palsy, also known as spastic quadriplasia. That means that all four of my limbs are uh, affected by this uh, spastic condition, and therefore I cannot walk. Uh, and some of my function, especially on my left side, is less than an average person.
0: Yeah. And if you are willing, mention or tell me a little bit about how that started off. I know you mentioned at birth, and at a certain time in life, you did have a surgery to try to help you. Uh, I don't know if you wanna talk about that or not, but what age you were when you began dependent upon, you know, being in a wheelchair.
1: Well, really, I've I've been wheelchair dependent basically since the age of two, Okay. Uh, really. Um, Now, when I was about six years old, and this may be what you're referring to in this moment, I had several surgeries and, and spent uh, a good bit of time, uh, not as much as some, but a, a good bit of time for most in the hospital uh, a, as a young child, especially uh, some procedures on my eyes as, as some things uh, correlating with the spastic nature of my condition affected my eyes and such. But when I was six years old, I, I went through a procedure known as a dorsal rhizotomy which now, actually, as medical technology has improved quite a bit, it is done in a completely different fashion uh, than it was then. Now it is done through two little holes laparoscopically where the doctors will go in and perform a procedure upon the spinal cord where the, the idea is to clip certain unnecessary nerves along the spinal cord to relieve some of the tension that comes with the spastic nature of my condition, cerebral palsy. Now, uh, back then, it was much more evasive. I have an 18-inch scar from about the middle of my back all the way down. Uh, They went in and they they performed this procedure. Uh, I was the only, at least at the time, I do not know if this is still the case, but I know that At the time this was the case, I was the only child in the United States to go through this procedure who did the recovery afterwards without any pain medication. Uh, The pain medication made me so sick, the one time that they did try to give it to me that I refused it. So I went through the entire recovery period in the hospital, uh, the six months plus of, of rehab after that, and all of that uh, without any pain medication, but the the goal of that surgery again is to relieve some of that tension, which was able to give me some more function in my hands and such, Uh, but again, it was a new procedure at the time, and so the rehab wasn't quite as well researched as it is now, and Uh, some mistakes were made where I lost more function in my ankles than I originally had, but gained more function in my hands that I still use today. So it's sort of a give or take procedure at that moment.
0: It wasn't totally a failure, it wasn't totally a loss. There were some things that came from it that were good.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah,
0: I know you're very thankful for that, and I am too for you. That's good. Well i think you're for multiple reasons highly qualified to discuss this subject number one because your love for the lord and you're a faithful christian a child of god and also a faithful teacher of god's word but also because of the physical nature of this so i want to talk about the need for such a discussion and uh you know for others to listen to this and 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 learn and be encouraged uh it seems that those with physical disabilities are somewhat and i know varying degrees in different places but we i do speak in generalities a lot of times on the podcast Uh, those with physical disabilities generally speaking are a forgotten group of people you know but yet there are accommodations and accessibilities that are needed let's talk about that them being a forgotten group and why
1: this is something that members of the church
0: need to be thinking about
1: Absolutely. And I I think this is really something, again, speaking of generalities, this is something that could be true to a degree when we're looking at this specifically uh, in the Lord's church, especially with any minority group. It's simply this may be the case because of a lack of exposure. Mm -hmm. You know, every congregation you go to throughout the United States and, and possibly around the world, you may not find someone. Uh, within the pews, so to speak, with a physical disability. Uh, But when you do, uh, the question is, uh, are they involved? Do you find ways for them to be involved, either in ways that they are capable in leadership or even if their physical disability may be more severe? Have you found ways to get them involved for their spirit, which is still whole? Mm-hmm. Though their body may have difficulties in this life, the spirit and, and the part that makes them them may function completely normally. Though in some cases, they may not be able to communicate that as well. There is still a, an oneness upon us within the Lord's church, especially among leadership, to find ways to be able to involve them and to encourage their spirit, and to uh, help them develop in Christian life.
0: Amen. Uh, How would you, do you have any thoughts on the idea of like removing challenges? There's a need for the church to remove challenges for those with physical disabilities.
1: Well, I I think, and I think you briefly said this a moment ago, the key word in any form of life, but especially towards this discussion, is accessibility. Uh, Accessibility and finding ways to accommodate is really the goal that we should have, making normal life normal for everybody at all levels so that uh, these challenges and barriers are not there, whatever they may be.
0: Yeah. So in other words, kind of put those with physical disabilities on the same field physically. Yes, where where they can partake of worship, they can partake of the songs, they can, you know, all those kinds of things. They can partake of the fellowship, the eating together and just all that goes with it, with the work of the church. Absolutely. You know, this is not a new subject by any means. I mean, people, do you have some people maybe in mind in the Bible times with physical disabilities that maybe you have related to in your own life or, or something like that?
1: Oh, absolutely. I I can think of many, you know, a lot of times when when you think of of a uh, particular disability similar to mine, whether it is some sort of uh, quadriplasia or uh, paralysis, perhaps uh, some sort of uh, disability where you use a wheelchair primarily or what would have been uh, typically called in a previous generation or two or three. When you are lame, I think a lot of those passages where where lame people are mentioned, both in the Old and New Testament, you think of uh, Mephibosheth in the Old Testament. But really the one that I relate to, and this is something that uh, I was even thinking about the other day, I think to me the most poignant view that we get of disability within scripture and how the Christian in our endeavoring to be like Christ should interact and should uh, engage with someone with a disability to me it is the lame man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. Uh, because as is still true today and has always been true throughout human history, people with physical disabilities are typically treated differently. They are typically marginalized. They are typically forgotten to a degree, and it is much more severe in the past than it is now. I don't want to give anyone the impression that, that progress has not been made because so much has been made overall in a society, though there's a lot of work left to be done. Yeah, uh, we are not in the same. Those of us who who deal with these challenges are not in the same boat as those in Bible times. However, I think looking specifically at that account, there are a lot of things that we could uh, relate to. You you do your historical research into the Jewish culture, the broader Hellenistic Roman culture in in that day and. Uh, Those with disabilities were uh, treated uh, as outcasts in society. Uh, They were looked down upon for the most part. They were rarely ever spoken to. They they depended wholly upon the generosity of others Mm -hmm. to be able to even do simple things like eat a meal or live. Uh, And oftentimes those things were done. Those things might have even been provided for them in their begging uh, with ulterior motives or ulterior means behind it. I I think about uh, what Jesus said of the Pharisees doing their alms to be seen of men. And when you think about the man at the pool of Bethesda, what's his first reaction to Jesus's uh, question there? Do you wish to be healed? Mm -hmm. Well, how can I, unless someone puts me into that water? Despite what you may believe about the the statements made about that pool, there was a common belief that being placed in this pool would have some sort of healing qualities. And so he's focused on the here and now in that moment. How can I, unless someone helps
0: me? That would certainly explain why there were so many around it, because they believe something about the water. You mentioned about ideas about this seemingly forgotten group of people. You mentioned that there's different ideas about those with physical disabilities. I think of John 9 with the and the blind man. They thought that he or his parents had sinned. And that there's always this cloud of wonder and question. Why was he born this way? Why was, you know, and I I think it's kind of natural because we're just a curious people. We're an intelligent people. But sometimes, I guess, if we're not careful, our curiosity can get us into trouble. You know, if we maybe have the wrong attitude or go beyond the scriptures or something, you know, but, you know, people might look at our people among the church or anyone that has physical disabilities and, and, and. have a tainted view of them in their mind of like why are they this especially like if they didn't have a car accident and that happened to them they were born this way or this developed over time and the doctors don't know why you know i don't do you have any thoughts on that
1: and maybe tainted isn't the right word I, i think i think the because i do believe you're right and i think in a lot of ways those same questions are being asked Mm-hmm. today because as we've seen through many biblical examples over many subjects, the parameters around them, the culture around them may have changed, but the one thing that hasn't changed is people yeah. and the way people react to things. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure these thoughts are are thought and even sometimes maybe uh, in, in moments when you don't know what to say, even said in, in certain uh, cases. And, and that is Maybe not tainted, maybe not a tainted view, but maybe misguided, because we have not educated enough. Uh, and I think that's a broader subject, even outside of the Lord's Church, but but especially among us. Maybe we haven't talked about it in a very real way that people understand the real experience of those who deal with these disabilities and, and treat them in that same manner as they would anyone else. There is a beautiful depiction of that biblical passage that we've been talking about. I don't know if you've seen much of the television program, The Chosen, but but recently there has been a beautiful depiction of that moment in the ministry of Jesus. And one thing that stuck out very much to me in that clip of the show is the shock and awe on this man's face to see Jesus treat him as any other human yeah treat him of, of, of an equal nature and that's so important when it comes to the idea of accessibility not just on a physical level but also on the the mental having the mental aptitude to to consider these things and plan for them and think about them
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I thought of that a couple moments ago and then the thought went away as I was talking. But I think that's a I would encourage our viewers to try to see that uh, to watch any of the show, because most everything I've seen has been enjoyable and helps you to get a visual and a historical context of the Bible things in Jesus' time. But I remember that episode. I know what you're talking about. And it's beautiful to see that visually, you know, as a a Christian, to see that even in a show depicting historical facts that happened in the life of Jesus. A verse that means a lot to me in John 5, I wanted to mention this uh, because I recently studied this word in John chapter 5, verse 6. It says, when Jesus saw him, that's the paralytic, lying there. And knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. the The word translated "long" is, and I, I'm not, I don't, I can't pronounce Greek words, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna butcher it anyway for purposes here. Is Paulus. And it looks like P-O-U-L-O-U-S or something like that in English. It's the same word translated not given to much wine for deacons. And I did a long, heavy study on that word not too long ago. And the idea is from one to the nth degree. Jesus knew however long that guy had been lying there, whether it was one day, a thousand days, a thousand hours, or if it was six years, However long it was, Jesus knew he had been lying there that whole time, and that's very personal. That's very important, very intimate. And of course, it went beyond that. Of course, you know the Lord knew, and then He asked a question. He showed Him mercy. He healed Him, and all those kinds of things. But uh, I just wanted to throw that in because I had recently studied that, and that's the idea. He doesn't. John doesn't tell us how long. It just says that when Jesus saw that He had been lying there for a long time that's all that john comments about it the truth is the lord knew how exactly. many days he knew exactly he knew every moment how long he had been laying there and what had been going through that man's mind you know that uh, be be that as it may talking about that i want to segue into something else about being in that man's mind uh if you would give us a view inside the mind of one that's physically disabled obviously i know you you're not some official rep that you can speak for everybody with a, I'm, we're not treating I'm not treating you that way you know but just from your perspective so that others can hear and learn and be educated including myself take us inside the view of your own mind of one that is physically disabled you have physical challenges that that let's just be frank that most do not have there are others who have some of the similar same conditions as you but Take us into a, especially like as a Christian, as a member of the church who assembles with the church and you visit churches, just all that. And just give me, tell tell the
1: listeners, you know, talk about that. I think this will help us a lot. Sure, sure. I'd be glad to. Uh, One thing I think we need to establish when thinking about this, when getting a first person view, let's say, of what someone in my space goes through and especially visiting churches or really anywhere, is that one of the things that you become very keenly aware of early on as a person who who faces these sorts of challenges is that even with the progress that has been made towards accessibility and accommodation, we still live in a world that is not built for us. And so over time, at least as it's been my experience and the experience of many others that I know and have talked to within the disability community, both inside and outside the Lord's Church, is you develop this sort of sense, I call it a spider sense, sort of of hearkening to the comic book character Spider-Man, where he's able to have this extra sense of sensing danger around him at all times. We have sort of this spider sense, so to speak, of, okay, how am I able to take this situation from point one and make it work for me, even though it might not be built to work for me? And that's really the thing that whether, whether it's conscious or not, any disabled person, whether in your congregations, in our congregations, or for visitors in the community, that are visiting our congregations for the first time, they're doing that from moment one anytime they go to a new place. Mm-hmm. That goes for parking lots. I can tell you without consciously thinking about it, in any parking lot that I am in, I'm looking to see, okay, how close is the handicapped parking to the door, uh, the front door usually then I look, okay, is that front door accessible? And you and I know that to a degree in some of our older buildings, the way that they have been built, uh, the way that architecturally they were uh, constructed generations ago, Sometimes those front doors may not be very accessible. So what does the disabled person do then? Okay, now I know where the handicap parking is. I see that there's 25 steps up to this front door. That's not an option for me. Is there a side ramp there? Maybe yes, maybe no. If not, okay, is there a side entrance? And sometimes on these older buildings, there may be a side entrance, say a basement entrance, something like that. But then you look at that side entrance and you think, okay, this, is, this side entrance looks flat. It looks accessible. But is it on a hill that has about an 85% grade that either I, as a physically disabled, independent person by myself, have to try to get down? in a manual chair which would be impossible nearly if not or potentially roll a 500 plus pound uh, electric power wheelchair over myself trying to drive it down or what am i going to have to do find someone to depend upon to pull me down said hill uh, which for a visitor who may be you know, unfamiliar with many people, if any at this congregation, can be difficult because you're asking help from a stranger. Uh, and for members, is this something that you're going to want to do Sunday in, Sunday out, Wednesday in, Wednesday out? Uh, these sort of things are just on the outside.
0: I know. You're, yeah. I'm sitting here listening to this like, wow, you haven't even gotten in the building yet. Exactly.
1: <laughs> it's just outside the building. Now, most of our modern buildings, and I say that within those that have been made uh, and built within the last, let's say, 20 to 25 years, most of them are on a flat floor plan. So that eliminates a lot of those, those challenges. But in our older buildings, that's a serious problem. Now, let's carry this out inside the building. The very second thing that I'm going to look at is the, is the structure of this building. Okay, if I'm here visiting and they ask me to go to certain places, how accessible is the auditorium? Or as a visitor might think, how accessible is the sanctuary, so to speak? Uh, is it one of these, like a certain uh, church building that I know you and I have visited, at one time in Corinth, Mississippi, uh, not associated with our uh, brethren necessarily, but our brethren were holding a meeting in this place uh, where there was a large auditorium, uh, but the auditorium was built in such a way that you, again, were on an 85% grade going down this center aisle, and then I have to think, okay, that leaves me only two options either in the very back because it's level or to go down said hill to the very front because it is level. Most visitors are not going to want to do that. And if you are in the back, typically you're going to be nervous as to whether or not your brakes are going to hold uh, so that through the service you are not, Uh, concentrating upon what may be going on as much as you are making sure your wheels don't begin to roll and you cause a ruckus as you come flying down said hill without the ability to stop. Uh, Now, with places where our auditoriums are flat, are there places for me to park my wheelchair out of the way where I don't impede said said service? such as the short pews, so to speak, to use a colloquial term, as, as many congregations may have, and where are they placed? I am a big believer that if we are going to have those placed in our church buildings, put them in several places. Don't put all of them in the back, nor all of them in the front. Put some in the front, some in the middle, some in the back. Giving people options on both or either sides, So that there are plenty of options and plenty of room for everyone, both those that use wheelchairs, some that use walkers that may want to stash them away, that sort of thing. The other big thing that is always uh, something that uh, I look at when I enter a new building is, where are the facilities? Because, uh, unfortunately, this is just something that is uh, an absolute certainty for all of us. Those things are going to happen. Your need to use the facilities is (laughs) unavoidable at some times. You can go throughout life learning every tool and trick of the trade, not to have to do so uh, at certain times and in certain places, but there are going to come moments of emergency. Is it accessible? Is it accessible alone? And is it private enough where you can actually use it without being walked in upon? I have been in some buildings where they may have a quote-unquote accessible stall that is built within the Americans with Disabilities Act parameters as far as on paper, but once you get your chair in there, there's not enough room to close the door, so you now have Mm. to use the restroom with the door either partially or fully open, even though the chair may fit. Wow. You know? Uh, And that can cause some rather awkward moments. That has happened even in secular places uh, for me. Uh, I have had to, in an emergency, use a handicap accessible stall. And I use that term very uh, loosely where the door has to be partially open. And a five-year-old comes running in with an emergency, sees a door open and runs up and ugh. You know, shocked look on their face. Now, imagine that, you know, in a place where people are gathered to worship, it might be a little more understood by generous folks, but it's still not a comfortable situation. Right. You look at things like that. You look at, okay, where are the soap dispensers? Are they too high to be able to reach along the wall where they're placed? Same thing with paper towels and such. Those are things that we just automatically look for without even having to think uh hallways or the hallways wide enough where you can get in and out and around if people are gathered around and fellowshipping Uh, sometimes i have been in instances and this is not necessarily something that bothers me too badly but it is noticeable because i love to see brethren fellowship where I've had to sit and be part of a 20-minute conversation simply because I could not get around <laughs> the crowd, especially in my role as the preacher, where you're often trying to get to the door and, as we say, shake the brethren out. Yeah, I've been impeded by good Christian fellowship, which is not a bad thing, but it makes it harder for me to do what I know I need to do as an encourager and as a preacher and a minister. Mm -hmm. and that's just you know one instance
0: yeah yeah so we're in the building now and we're thinking about where we're sitting uh conveniences to the restrooms what about like bible classes and fellowship hall anything specific about those that come to mind that that congregations need to keep in mind
1: Uh, take for example this uh in my case, I am a big cook. And Now, Aaron, you know this because we've known each other for so long, and our families have known each other for years and years now. Uh, cooking is one of my hobbies. I love doing it. I love participating with a lot of the good brothers and sisters who are cooks in our congregation and in taking part in planning meals and doing such as that. Uh, but in the moments when we are preparing for a fellowship meal or even just a simple lunch, say we're in congregations where we eat together quite a bit. When the kitchens are not built in such a way that the the countertops are at least somewhat accessible and such, you feel more in the way than you are able to help. I've been in some places where these things are good, and some things, some places where they are not. But it's yet another avenue that it would I would be less likely to be able to serve and help if those challenges and barriers were in my way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, those. Also, this remembering to leave room for wheelchairs and fellowship halls. We usually, uh, in in the sense of our typical fellowship hall tables, whether round or. Uh, rectangular we have a certain amount of chairs that are supposed to fit around the around the tables right or 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 on each side remember to take one out or two out because some maybe you know chairs are wider than others so that you can feel comfortable and included you say well you've got the ends of the table and that can work in some situations but there causes a problem sometimes when you're on the end of a table Because what if someone has to walk behind me or around me at some point? I have been in situations both among the Lord's church and in secular places where if I'm in a situation stuck where someone has to walk behind me in direct line, perhaps a dear sister's dress gets caught or jacket or something like that on my wheelchair handles, you know, and you've got these little moments which are funny and they're not necessarily a bad thing in that it causes a major problem but it's a noticeable moment of a little bit of embarrassment even when we're able to laugh about it just a little funny story about a year ago i attended a meeting of of teachers with my wife before the school year began And I kid you not, where I was having to sit in this large auditorium, about 30 different female teachers got caught on my wheelchair handle in the space of about an hour and a half. Oh, wow. (laughs) You know, of just (laughs) milling around. So it's a very real thing. It's not a big deal, but but it's something that the person with the disability and perhaps that person who has this happen to them is going to notice and remember to a degree. Yeah. You know, and it's an impression that is made one way or the other. it is. and 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 the
0: thing that I keep thinking while you're saying these things is vision, forethought, planning, especially like when a church is building a building. Uh, but in reality, most congregations are not in the process of building a building, and they're in a building where those codes were the codes that that building was built upon have been grandfathered in they weren't ada codes you know so like i'm thinking that congregations need to try to learn to make accommodations like try to you know even like plans and budget like okay you know in the next two years we're gonna save and we're gonna we're gonna fix this aspect of this part of the building where it's more ada accessible you know where it's more i mean otherwise just well our building was grandfathered in and too bad, tough snuff, and then I mean that doesn't look good. That looks awful. That looks like 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 a soul that's that's physically disabled is just not as important, not as you know. And that's just that's not the that is not the Christ like That is not the golden rule. We can't do that. I, I realize it would be challenging to redo a whole building, but with forethought, planning, and money, and purpose, and faith, and trust, and giving. Things can be done. It might take some time, but I can only imagine what it would mean to even one precious soul that came and saw that a congregation was trying to make accommodations. They were trying to make things more accessible. I mean, imagine the impact. I can. You you don't have to imagine it. You've probably seen it before.
1: Absolutely. And and, and to put it bluntly, Aaron, it makes all the difference in the world. I and I and I I am one that. I love the Lord's Church. You know, I've I've been reared around the Lord's Church from a very young age. I was not, you know, my family were not faithful at the time when I was born, but my my father was restored and my mother was baptized when I was still relatively young. Mm -hmm. So I've spent the majority of my life around God's people and I love God's people and I love uh, the Lord and, and all that I'm able to do for him. But trying to look at it from a person who has no connection with the Lord's church and perhaps no love for them. Like I do, because it's something new. I can tell you from that standpoint, it makes all the difference in the world. Cause if it makes that much difference for me and I'm an easy case to please, uh, so to speak, what can it do for the person who this is their first experience?
0: You've you shared a lot of rich information. Do you have any other thoughts as it pertains to the building that you'd like to mention uh, before we move? You know, into another segment. Anything else as far as you know a view inside your mind when you're? I mean, I could. I even think of like a baptistry, and you know, I mean, we've got you know we've got to find ways that even if we had to carry someone, which may not be very comfortable for that individual, but we've got to make accessibility we've got to make accommodations for souls
1: i will say this when you and this is in the case of when you are building or when you are perhaps remodeling certain aspects of a building if you have access to a brother or sister in christ who deals with this either as a wheelchair user or perhaps some other physical disability, amputees, others such as this. If you have access to them as you are doing this planning, use that resource because here's the one problem that that can sometimes come up, Aaron, is this. Those ADA codes exist, but those aren't necessarily always designed with a person in a wheelchair in mind or or a specific group in mind. Take, for example, this. I have been in some ADA bathrooms that meet all of the parameters of the codes, but they're really built for older people who are disabled, who have a different set of challenges, perhaps, than a lifelong disabled person such as I, in that, let's say it's built to the ADA code where you have a toilet that is such and such uh, length high, that extremely high toilet for a person like me who is not standing and having to sit where you may not be able to squat or sit uh, to a certain degree that a regular person might be able to, so it needs to be higher, is limited because now I've got to try to From the ground, figure out how I'm going to make up that gap in space to be able to sit upon the commode or or use the bathroom in that way. So it may be an ADA regulated toilet, but for a person like me coming from a chair and moving up towards it, it may still be inaccessible to Mm -hmm. a degree. Uh, grab bars in the bathroom. A lot of times I will see them in what I call the uh, L pattern where there's one on this wall and one on a rear wall. That may be useful for a person using a cane or a crutch that needs to get to a certain place and have a bar behind the toilet there to turn around but as a person who has to put all of their weight down upon their arms and use their arms to function around a toilet, it is much more accessible if you've got bars on both sides, like parallel bars that a gymnast might use because of placement. So though that L pattern may fit within ADA codes in your specific place as you're making these accommodations, try your best to build it to the people around you, where it is accessible for all people to a degree, uh, but especially in those moments when you're planning with your own members in mind and and with the majority of uh, those with physical disabilities in mind, consult someone who deals with this on multiple levels because simply one group may not always have the best solution for, Those sorts of challenges.
0: Yeah, I like that. That's good. That means that we need to do some careful homework and and look out among the congregation, you know, and maybe even some potential people that might be members, you know, different situations and circumstances. That's good stuff. I, I would like to move into the idea of how should those that are not disabled, you know, act or react to those that are disabled and there's a number of ideas here that uh, I'd like to discuss with you so I'll I'll give those as we go along but just as a general question to answer um, connected to you know what can we do to help them with a better experience How, how should those that are not disabled react or act toward those that are disabled especially from the Christian perspective
1: absolutely and, you know, using the illustration that that we talked about earlier in, in talking about uh, biblical examples of disability and using that illustration of that clip from the television program, and it, that idea of the, the juxtaposition of the way Jesus treated this man versus those crowds that were seeing him in that place every day and looking at him and staring at him and such as that, They were, whether consciously or not, making an effort to show the differences. The importance of accommodation and accessibility is making normal, a level playing field for everyone. So in reacting to a person who has a physical disability is treat them just as you would every other person. Because mentally, very often, unless they deal with some other mental uh, disability, which is an entirely different discussion that perhaps we should have at another time, uh, for the most part, uh, mentally, we function the same. Uh, The only differences are the challenges we face in our body. Now, as with my condition, there are forms of it that are far more severe than what I deal with, and and even to a degree less severe uh, than mine. You know, mine my limbs are affected to such a degree where I am a permanent wheelchair user. However, there are other people with cerebral palsy who, for the majority of the time, are able to walk. They may have some more physically noticeable uh, details of the condition that I do not have, but they're at least able to be ambulatory, as we would say. Whereas vice versa, there are forms of it where that are uh, much more severe. I am blessed to have the ability to use my voice and use my voice very effectively and have been my entire life. I've never dealt with much difficulty with speech. Now, I do have some moments where uh, my speech will freeze or there may be... um, difficulty understanding me because of the over overproductive nature of saliva glands and things that often comes with my condition. But there are others who uh, with my same condition can barely speak at all. Yeah. But yet within that physical challenge that they have, there's still a whole mind and and there's still a whole person
0: yeah. there so you're saying we need to treat, to treat them that with the
1: way same equal amount of respect and understanding. Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one of the things on the forefront that we can do to help them have a better experience, treat them, uh, as God sees them, as God sees you and everyone who has physical disabilities, uh, a, a precious soul for whom Christ died. You know, the golden rule is the rule. One of the standards that we're to live by with everyone, you know, treating others the way we would want to be treated, et cetera, uh, that, you know, and that would include getting young people, younger people, and and even older, maybe somebody comes into the church at an older age, but getting people with these physical challenges involved in worship activities, leadership, you have a thought on that, that you wanted to share, um, or, you know, anything there in that revolve, in that connection about getting them involved, maybe some advice, of how to get them
1: involved absolutely you know my philosophy when it comes to that is this along with that idea of accommodation is in whatever way possible simply put do it Mm -hmm. involve them in worship and no matter the severity of their condition if there is a way to involve them, or to accommodate, to make certain aspects of worship easier for them to participate in, absolutely do it and encourage it. In my case, I was extremely blessed with strong parents who pushed me beyond the limits that the world might have placed upon me. You know, whereas physically I am limited in many ways, I have a very clear ability to use my speech. So I began at an early age learning how to lead singing, uh, participating as a young Christian young man in leading public prayers, doing devotionals, preaching sermons. And a lot of times the, the barriers that were not placed on me simply because I could not do it perhaps the same way as an average person would stepping up behind a pulpit, did not mean that I was not capable of of leading in worship and helping and being trained through that process as I grew. And I accredit mostly my ability now and, and what I am able and blessed to do in my work for the Lord full time as a minister of the gospel To those brethren who did not see me as uh, the boy in the wheelchair, but simply saw me as a Christian young man who needed to be encouraged to take part in these things and finding ways in which I could do it. You know, I was not able to pass trays in serving the Lord's Supper as a young man, but I could preside upon the Lord's Supper and lead prayers and such as that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was thankfully able to learn to lead singing and encouraged to preach and and do these things. Whatever I could do, I was encouraged to do whatever we could make a way for me to do. They encouraged a way for me to do it. And I think that is the, the biggest part of the mental side of accommodation is just focusing on it. Again, as you said, having a vision towards it to encourage young people at whatever level level they're able, even if it's just in activities uh, for young children, maybe that do have a little bit more of a mental difficulty to uh, deal with alongside with their physical challenges. Is there a way that we can help this child of brother and sister so-and-so participate in the Easter egg hunts we may have at the building or some other activities for the children so that they feel on an equal level with all of the rest of the children. Anything like that, either in worship and and something dealing with our Christian life or outside of that in fellowship, if there's any way that we can find a common ground to level the playing field, so to speak, I encourage it, do it in any way you can
0: amen amen that's good stuff let's uh this is the last segment but i'm not going to stop you if we go over the normal general time because we're into this and i want to keep going and you know, and i know before we got started you said you had time so i want to cover it you know as much as feels comfortable with our time and then you can it seems natural i should say and then if we're left with wanting to do more we could we could consider doing another episode another time but i want to include in this um the importance of encouraging people with physical challenges without patronizing them and 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 i that word you know i I looked up the definition of the word patronizing i thought i knew what it meant but i just making sure it, it means being apparently kind or helpful but betraying a but betraying a feeling of superiority or condescending so it's important to encourage people not just young people with physical challenges but all ages and we're talking in the context especially of the church and those that the church interacts with who are potential members that we encourage them without patronizing them and there's three ideas i have here i'm going to mention all three of them and then maybe you can start with each one and we can go the first is helping them to have the uh, the ability to accomplish average activities two not victimizing individuals that have physical disabilities. And third, not turning them into a quote unquote hero. So let's just take them one at a time. And and like the first of these, do you have any thoughts uh, that you haven't already expressed maybe at this point in the discussion about, you know, helping encourage, encourage them to accomplish average activities and how and why that would be important for the church, but also for the person with the physical challenges.
1: Absolutely, and I think of these three, maybe this one is the one we've already touched on the most, uh, so maybe I won't spend quite as much time upon it specifically, but but I will say this, one thing I think is important to point out in, in this portion of the discussion is encouragement is something that we need to focus upon all groups and all uh, parts of, uh, of a congregation. Encouragement is a vital part of being a Christian to begin with. So this is a practice that we should all be practicing towards each other, regardless of what, uh, you know, our, our status, so to speak, may be physically or whether we are what we would call able-bodied in the community or uh, disabled. Let's take that completely out of the equation. We are are called to encourage one another. Mm -hmm. We are called to be exhorters of one another. Now, some have more ability in that area than others. Uh, That's just part of life and part of being a Christian. But I think it's extremely important on the outset to understand that this is a very fine line subject mm-hmm. and a very delicate part of the subject in that there is a fine line between encouragement and this idea of patronizing because i don't know necessarily that every form of patronizing that may happen happens out of ill intent yeah i think sometimes this sort of attitude can be presented without ever intending to do so. So we need to avoid it, and especially with the last two segments of this question, we'll we'll deal with that some, but this idea of making average activities, um, making them... uh, more accessible and more accommodative for those with physical disabilities. That's the whole point of this discussion mm-hmm. is again, this idea of leveling the playing field, whatever we can do to make things normal for every one of every, uh, level and ability we should do when we can. Um, I think it's important in the sense that, uh, you know, a lot of times I've been in congregations where it was very important to go up to the front in order to lead a prayer or participate in worship in that way. Perhaps. There are moments in which it would be difficult for a person with a physical disability, either for not being able to stand for very long in a, in a instance of someone with a prosthetic leg or difficulty getting your chair in and out of the place where it may be, where that might not be possible. Mm-hmm. You know, are there instances where we can either take a microphone down from the front pass it to the young person or older person who has difficulty standing with a walker and allowing them to still lead Mm -hmm. and and participate in these things with something as as simple as that, either passing a microphone or having separate microphones available to use in, in such a way where it's not necessarily about the going to the front, as it is the ability to be heard and to be useful in that point of service. Uh, Just as one example, you know, can we adjust the way in which we observe the Lord's Supper, where instead of trading off the prayers with all those that are passing out trays, at least in the traditional sense, in places where we're uh, traditionally observing the, the supper as we did prior COVID, and uh, that maybe we can adjust the way in which we do that, where a, a person of any physical uh, ability, whether an older person, younger person, doesn't matter, might be stationary and the one presiding over each prayer, while the others are the ones who are actually doing the physical passing out. It's just a way to, again, level the playing field. And those are just two examples that come to my mind immediately. Or, or this. Uh, if you're encouraging a young person to preach or, or do devotionals, have a place, whether a music stand or, or something like that, that is easily transportable where they can uh, place their notes as, as they're beginning. You know, one of the reasons uh, I've had many people mention uh, over the years about the fact that I do not preach with notes. One of the reasons why I don't do that was out of necessity. A lot of times when we were students of the school of preaching, and even when I had begun preaching prior to entering the school uh, years ago, uh, you will go to places, and if I was going to have a place to place my notes, I was going to have to bring it with me, either because the Lord's table was placed in such a place that the, the pathway to it was not wide enough for me to get behind it, or obviously the, the pulpit is placed on a higher platform that is inaccessible to me. And so for a long time, I would have to bring a music stand or something like that to make a makeshift pulpit uh, to use. Now, I still don't preach with notes, but the brethren here at Asheville have been tremendously kind to me. And about a year or a year and a half, maybe even two, Ago, they had a furniture maker custom make a sort of speaker stand for me. Uh, and you've seen it, I believe. I, yeah, you,
0: I remember seeing that one when, when we were down there last time. Building. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, that is built for me to be able to roll up behind and it's shaped like a traditional pulpit, but it sets on the floor and putting us on level ground. And I like that. One reason I like that as a preacher is I'm able to look people eye to eye. Uh, because you're on that same plane again Mm -hmm. in in preaching these lessons but it's finding a way to accommodate such as that
0: yeah i like that you know and 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 i'm not deviating i just want to add to that do you have any advice for let's just make a brief scenario that could easily happen you have someone who is uh who, who You have a, a, a soul who, you know, they have physical challenges such as the ones we've been talking about in this episode, and you're trying to help them to accomplish average activities. Let's say they've placed membership, quote unquote, or they recently obeyed the gospel, and you're wanting to help them, you as a worship leader or an elder or whatever, you know, the, the deacon that heads those things up, whatever. And you're wanting, I feel like generally speaking, this is probably true, a lot of times the non-disabled person doesn't know how to approach the person that's disabled because they're trying not to be uh, – you know, draw much attention to that. Don't want to embarrass someone, but maybe they're thinking this brother that's disabled. Maybe he does want to lead a prayer, but he wants to accomplish these average activities. He wants to be a part, just like any other brother, in leading any little cup. You know, one or two or whatever tidbits of advice, just how to approach them. Like, don't worry about it. Just talk to them like you would. So, what? you know how do you i just think a lot of times people ignore that's why they're forgotten group instead of engaging because they don't want to offend them they don't want to upset it's just 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 i mean i remember when you and i the first several years we started was really getting to know each other more and more it was just like as it developed more naturally the more we were together you know, at some point early on, you're like Aaron. And of course, we were on a, a special level of friendship. You know, it wasn't just we only saw each other on Sundays. This was daily through school. You know, at MSOP. But at some point early on, one on one with me, you're like Aaron. Ask me anything. Ask me anything about my physical. So, it's like, and I like that too because, of course, and that was partly on your part, but anyhow, you know, because that allowed me to get more comfortable with it and and to know I wasn't bothering you about it. It's something you didn't mind talking about. And I don't don't know, but again, not from the disabled person's perspective of it's on them to tell the church how they feel. I don't want it to, what about the non-disabled, you know, brethren? How do you, how do they, how should they approach one that is to engage them?
1: Well, number one, I think you've hit it on the head right there, Erin. Just in that, just in that personal uh, explanation, there is this: do not be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. Never ever be afraid to ask questions, uh, especially of those who are are disabled physically, but are still independent to a great degree, yeah. where they're not dealing with other challenges, where they're not quite as dependent. And in those questions, ask, their, ask the caregivers and those that help with them yeah. and them as well. N- never never exclude them from the conversations, even if they can't quite communicate with you.
0: Yeah, because you might think it's an awkward conversation.
1: So what? Have it. Have the conversation. Never funny. be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. This is something I, I know most all, I'm almost tempted to say all of us would say because... We've been around it our entire lives. We've dealt with it our entire lives. One thing that I love about little children is they are not afraid of anything. No. They have they have none of these uh, societal barriers built up in their minds. So they don't get embarrassed about asking these questions. And sometimes they can be hilarious. Yeah. You know, sometimes they'll just point at you in the store and say, well, why are you like that? Or why do you use that as bluntly as that? And I see, bless their hearts. I understand that it's coming from a good motivation. That's right. But what do you see? You see their little mamas quickly trying to to move them away or hush them.
0: Oh, no, don't bother him with that. Don't,
1: mm -mm, Don't do that. Let them ask the questions, because here's the way that I look at it. And I know for a fact that many of my friends within the disability community, even outside of the Lord's church, they look at it this way. I would rather answer their questions honestly to a level they can understand and teach them properly about my disability than to have them grow up with these fear and these fears and stigmas yep. because they feel like they're going to embarrass me by asking a question yep. so that when they are adults they're afraid to speak to me yeah do you see if you start it early you remove that from the equation yep. but for most of us who may have some of that trepidation, that's my number one piece of advice without getting into any other details for sake of time is this. Don't ever be afraid to ask questions. Now, don't ask it in such a way that is is mean-spirited, which we should never do as Christians anyway, or or in this sense where it is uh, asked in such a way where it is sort of patronizing to the disabled person's intelligence because Mm -hmm. intelligence is very important and very vital to people who may lack in ability in other uh, aspects of their life because oftentimes unfortunately a lot of us may deal with some insecurities Mm -hmm. because of those things and because of experiences and traumas we may have had in our lives where that intellectual level is the one thing that gives us confidence. Yeah. So ask it like you would any average person. Yeah. A- a- and and never be afraid to ask it.
0: Sounds because like to me.
1: To so, these situations, all our lives.
0: Sounds like to me, attitude and communication are two of the most important.
1: And, and isn't that isn't that so important in every at, every type of relationship in in it the is. world? You know, at it all. Is. It so, is.
0: It is, but yet it's seemingly so overlooked. Let's talk, though, for a few minutes about victimizing and making or and on the other side, making someone into a hero. The idea of victimizing, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, not letting a physically challenged person, if that's the right description there, to accomplish average activities. Oh, don't bother him with that. Like, like you're inadvertently victimizing him or her, like he or her can't do it or can't grow to be able to do it or whatever, you know, making them feel a victim. And some people, I think, do it out of ignorance and also uh, like, I don't know, pity pity's not some kind of misplaced pity or something victimizing. What do you think of when you think of victimizing a person such as yourself?
1: I think there can be a stigma at times. And again, I don't know that this is always intended. Now, in some cases, it may be because there are people who, for lack of a better word, are are truly bigoted in this world. There are people who will always have this sort of superiority complex over people in general. It doesn't matter what group you belong to. So taking that completely off the table, because we know that exists, I think there is sometimes a stigma that people tend to believe simply because we face challenges of one form or another, whatever that may be, that somehow that automatically equates to the fact that our lives are horrible. That they are just, they are continuous and total dread and sadness, and there is never a happy moment in our lives, ever. And oh, how awful it must be to be in such and such shoes, so to speak. Yeah. Simply because I deal with a challenge does not mean that my life is awful. In fact, as a Christian, our lives are filled with joy regardless of what challenges we face. And we all face challenges, though yours may not be physical like mine. Mm-hmm. And mine are not only physical. We all face different ones. Yeah. So we're all equal in that sense. But simply because I have a physical challenge does not mean that my life is awful. Therefore, you don't need to treat me as such. Yeah. I, I'm not a victim. It is not... Uh, because of of anything that has gone wrong in my life or, or that I have done, sort of going back to the biblical example of the way that uh, they looked at the blind man mm-hmm. there. Though it's not the same in the religious tradition sense as what they believe, there are still people today who will look upon a physically disabled person and say, what in the world must they have done in their lives? And I, I noticed this, especially in those who deal with challenges because of an accident, who may deal with some sort of uh, paraplegia or quadriplegia because of an accident, where people will look at those instances and they will either victimize them or on the reverse side of the, of the equation, Sometimes, and this is a sad thing to me, some disabled people, and I'm, I'm not necessarily saying this about members of the church, so to speak, some disabled people will use that as a vehicle to take advantage of people. So there, there's a double side to this. We don't need to victimize and make make people feel as though their life is horrible because of the challenges that they face. But we also, as disabled people, don't need to use that as a crutch yeah. in any way, shape, or form.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we want to encourage our, for example, young people, any age, but our young people that, that have these physical challenges, we don't want to set them up for failure by by making them to be victims, even, even if they were a quote unquote victim of a wreck or an accident or, you know, any of these kinds of things, don't, 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 don't uh, treat them as though they're topped out, you know, it's one, it's
1: one moment in time in their lives and some way up until that point, when you have met them after that, they have gotten through it and gotten to the point where they are at this moment. Do not isolate them to that one moment in their lives.
0: Exactly. That's like nailing a person in their past. Yes. They don't want to yes. be they don't want to always be seen. You you know, I know you. You don't want to be seen as that's the dude in the wheelchair. You want to be seen as Eric Harmon. I mean, that's that's you know, as a child of God, as a servant of God, as an evangelist of God's word, you know, just like I do of myself. And that, and I'm sure that's true of all. What about the other side of this that goes with this about a hero? Can it happen? Can, can people, how does it happen? What, what does it mean to heroize, you know, someone who you take somebody maybe such as yourself who've dealt with this from the time you were a little bitty child? And if people just started praising you and, and treating you in a special way different than everybody else because you're in a wheelchair you know and this makes him Eric's a greater man than you are Eric uh, Aaron because you know he has to overcome this physical disability and I admire him as a preacher more than I do you I, I don't know if that would be turning someone into a hero or not maybe I've got that turned around but I don't know comment there on that what you th- <laughs> uh,
1: really really I think that is a tremendous problem And I think that it's something that we see a lot. Um, I think the best way to put it to begin with is this. Because of my physical disability, just using my case, because that's all I can speak to. uh, Because I'm not in the situation of anyone else, and nor would I ever attempt to be. Speaking from my point of view only. Everything that I ever do is not meant to be or is not an inspiration. And, and that's a problem that arises. When average things that I am able to accomplish because of some accommodative way become an inspiration, we have a problem. Average things ought to be treated as average. They ought to be put on such a level that everyone can do them somehow, some way. But I think there is a tendency to look at each one of these things as something we have overcome. And that can be dangerous. Now, if I'm, if I'm a, actually able to do something that is not average, that not many people can do, those things ought to be celebrated, just as with any other accomplishment. but let me let me put it this way, and I, I see this both among members of the church at times and people just out in the world. There's a tendency, especially on social media, to see this sort of thing happen in a passive way. I have actually had this happen to me in my life on one occasion specifically. Uh, that I won't mention the details of uh, for my own personal reasons, but I, I, I've had certain things like this happen where you may be doing something average, and let's say a person takes a picture of you doing this thing that you do every day of your life uh, for your own betterment or for for some other reason such as that, that shouldn't really in any other way, shape, or form, if you saw an average person doing it, you wouldn't think it was inspirational. Let's take, for example, in my case, you're at a gym exercising. That's a good thing to do. You're you're improving your health. You're doing what you can to improve your health. It's something we all should do. And when you see people doing it, it, it's not something that you really give a second thought to with an average person. But let's say you're at a gym uh, exercising and someone takes a picture of you. And that picture is then taken and made into an internet meme with with an inspirational quote such as this. Uh, if such and such is doing this, uh, as is depicted in this picture, you'll see a caption underneath that will say, now what's your excuse? You know, here I am with a picture of me taking uh, lifting weights or something like that, something that every average person has the capability or should do for their own good, but suddenly I or my image has become an inspiration to someone because it's been used in this form, making me some sort of hero for doing this average thing or if someone sees me cooking at a public event or something now what's your excuse Uh, you know and these things get around the internet very very easily Mm -hmm. a lot Uh, those things are patronizing they may be meant to inspire they may be meant to encourage to a degree and they may not even be shared on social media with any sort of ill intent but I can tell you, as a disabled person, I find that very offensive. Mm-hmm. Because again, what is it doing? Just as much as the original uh, concept that we were talking about is all it's doing is highlighting the differences, and and the point of accommodation is removing those barriers.
0: Yeah, what I'm, and I I, not, I I am opening up a, a new can by bringing this in. But do you, have you done any research or know anything about? The guy that's kind of well known, that Nicholas James Vuichich, the guy without the arms and legs, that he's an inspirational speaker, I think he's so called. He was uh, about 40, 41 years old now. I'm pretty sure he's still alive. I looked up, I, looked, I just Googled while we were sitting here preacher with no arms or legs. And because I knew that would get it, you know, and one of the first videos that comes up, it just says inspiring man born without arms or legs. And I recognize that it's him. I've seen a video or two of him in the past. I know there's another video uh, below that one. And it's him speaking. And I haven't watched it yet. And it says, you think my problem is no arms and no legs. And it's apparently him speaking to that particular subject. He's he's a well-known person. I think he's a professed Christian. You know, he professes to be a Christian. Uh, he has books, you know, living his best life without limbs, and just things like that. I didn't know if you had heard of him or knew anything about him. If you had any thoughts on that, you know, or something like that, and I think people mean well. Like this serves to inspire and it encourages me that, to see this. But again, you know, here is you are uh, uh, you are some you are a human being made in God's image, just like I am. That. You, you, you know, you and probably others uh, can view this kind of thing as, as victimizing, as as lowering someone down, you know, look, he can do this. He's not able to walk, and this, this inspires me. I, I think this might be hard to understand from the non-disabled world.
1: I, I, th- I think it can be. Yeah. But, but, I think the uh, one of the things that we may need to consider when looking at this is why does it inspire you yeah let's let's take a a simple image. If you see someone with a physical disability having found a workaround or accommodation to pour a cup of coffee, uh, what is special about pouring a cup of coffee in, in general? There's not much, is there? No. no. But why does now this image of me or anyone else pouring a cup of coffee inspire you? Whether we realize it or not, somewhere intrinsically, that must mean that before you realized that I could do this, I was somehow less capable than you based upon my challenge. And you see, that's where the problem lies, mm-hmm. is that whether we realize it or not, When something inspires us, that means that we had a viewpoint or a thought that because this may not have been something we ever thought was possible for a person like myself or others to do in the past, that somehow, whether I realized it or not, I had an image in my mind that uh, this person is somehow less than average it's like
0: oh now that i see that eric can do that oh now i don't think that he can't do it exactly. i realize now that he can and oh like i said i think people just mean that well it inspires me that if he can do that then i can do things that i think are hard or you know I, that's just the way people treat it
1: and in instant and that's why i said in instances where i do something that isn't average. Let's say that's extremely difficult uh, and someone does something like that. Those things should be encouraged and celebrated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, let's say that uh, someone saw me somehow find an accommodative way where I'm the first person in a wheelchair to top Mount Everest. Not everybody can do that. Yeah. Even on an average scale. Yeah, that is something above average. Mm-hmm. That should be celebrated as an accomplishment or an <laughs> yeah. inspiration. But pouring a cup of coffee, or cooking an egg, or exercising is not that. Yeah, yeah. I, you've 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 opened you've opened a subject
0: that I think we the non. You know when I, say and we, again, I, someone, I do not think
1: less of anyone that posts those sort of things I just don't know even among us if we think about it that way and and that's part of the importance of education yes it the is. importance of talking about these things and one reason why I was so willing to do this is it is an open platform to discuss these things. Amen. And that's one of the reasons I did this. And I wanted to have
0: this conversation with you for one, I knew that I could and, you know, and, and with you and as a friend and to educate, someone might be listening to this. Maybe you've, you've stayed the whole time. We've, we've been going about an hour and 20 minutes now. And I think it's very needed. I mean, I really do. I don't apologize for going that. And you may be listening to this as a listener and you're, you're, you may be, you could be thinking, you know, why would they even talk about these things? Why would Eric expose himself to these different things? I, frankly, I'm not going to let you speak for yourself, but I, th- I think I've been hearing this throughout the whole podcast to safely say because it's needed. The education people need to hear this. It needs to get out there to hear someone. And even from, from my podcast and my listeners there, I'm pretty sure pretty much all of them are members of the church that listen, you know, There's a need for those among this seemingly forgotten group, this seemingly neglected group of people to to be heard, you know, because you, like, just like me, are a unique individual, you know, made in God's image. You have certain needs. I have certain needs. But sometimes those needs differ. And this episode has focused on those with certain needs that are not as common, you know, like you said, you mentioned again a, a minority. Well, that's because most people in America are not in a wheelchair. They're not. Let's let's be real. So in that sense, people in a wheelchair are a minority. Not everything is usually accommodative to those that are. And like you said, it's gotten better overall. But this is something that I felt that the church needs to hear. And I have a I have a platform to use, you know, with, with this, with media like this
1: to do that and to get this out. Absolutely. And there is still work to do. You know, if I really could have any sort of uh, last thought or, or something towards this is it, it has gotten better, but this is something that we need to open the discussion about and continue the discussion about because I'm not the only one within the Lord's Church who deals with these these things. There are families with children with disabilities that feel left out as a family in places. They feel perhaps not uh, as important as other families within congregations because at times disability can also be isolating, especially in the case of a family. Because there are not, being a minority group, a smaller group, among a small group, uh-huh. there is not as much uh, time to commiserate with one another or, or someone to find uh, on the same uh, train of life experientially where you can have that common fellowship and commiserate about everything. Yeah. And, and so we need to have these discussions so that Uh, families do not feel a a separate part and apart from the congregation so that independent young adults with physical disabilities are not uncomfortable visiting new congregations when they go off to college or make their way in the world. They feel like a part of the congregation, not a charity case. Number one in, in sort of that, that patronizing idea and not completely forgotten. And the only way we're going to do that is by educating and communicating about these things. And so I appreciate the time that we've had to discuss this. And I really do hope that this helps someone, you know, and if anyone uh, wants to contact me or is going through these sorts of things or your child is going through these sorts of things, I've gone through the the stages of life where I have grown up with this disability in the context of the Lord's Church. And, and I've worked with young people in my past works in ministry as well. And if there's anything that I can do to help encourage and, and to build up those sorts of relationships, to be an asset for congregations that are looking for ways uh, to better accommodate both in their buildings and in the way that they do things for families and individuals with these sorts of things. Anything that I can do, I'm more than willing to do. And I, and I hope that this is an encouragement and a conversation starter for so many out there.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, you've, you've kind of drawn this to the point exactly where I wanted to go. Do you have a particular contact that you would like to share, an email or something that do you have if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way they could contact you where you could.
1: Ab- in- Absolutely. You can contact me at E dot Harmon, H A R M A N seven nine zero at gmail.com. That is my email. Uh, if, if this is uh, something that you need encouragement with or, or advice with, I, I can't promise that I'll be an expert with everything because again, my, my experience is limited to, Uh, my life and my family's life as we have navigated these waters through my childhood on into adulthood. And and perhaps my viewpoint as a preacher of the gospel who also faces these challenges. And that's a very unique thing. You know, I can probably count the, uh, my breath, my preaching brethren that I know who deal with similar challenges on one hand, uh, at least within this country, uh, and that can be a very unique thing. So, anything that I can do to help congregations or individuals, I, I will be glad to do. Again, that's e.harman, H A R M A N, 790 at gmail.com. You're welcome to contact me there. Also, if you're ever in the area of Asheville, Alabama, please come visit us. We would be glad to have you. Our building is accessible, extremely accessible, and we would be very glad to have you visit with us and anything that we can do to encourage you as well as you might be traveling through on vacation or anything like that. Please come be with us, worship with us. Our website, you can visit us there, AshevilleChurchOfChrist.com. We would be glad to help you in any way that we can.
0: Well, I have enjoyed this so much, Eric, and uh, I have learned in this episode, I've been encouraged. And, uh, you know, to hear it also from someone who experiences this, too, that, you know, overall, things are better. That That's encouraging, but it's also a challenge and a push to make realistic goals in each person's life and in a congregational life to know there's always some areas of improvement with education and communication and then sometimes you know alterations to our physical buildings you know don't let's don't sit idle there's things that can be done communicate educate treat one another as christ would treat you know treat us and that kind of thing all all that just goes together this is a very biblical subject what we're talking about the way we handle each other as christians and there are various needs in the lord's church and this is certainly one of them and so i really appreciate you coming on and and being on this episode with me and you know making yourself vulnerable uh to you know to put this stuff out there i I knew you would and uh and i appreciate you and for being on here is any anything else you want to say before we close out absolutely not brother but thank you so much for having me and uh, i just enjoyed our time together amen me too well Thank you so much for listening to the, to the Give Me Understanding podcast. I'm the host, Aaron Dodson, and Eric Harmon from Nashville, Alabama has been my guest today. If you have any questions of me, you can reach out to me. You can find me on social media and some other places as well, and I'll be glad to uh, see what I can do to help. Thank you so much for listening. God bless, and I will catch you next time.